Hey, what's up, guys? It's Jeremy, and you're watching episode number four of Backstage Career, the podcast where I interview the people that are working behind the scenes with some of the biggest creators and entrepreneurs out there. In this episode, I interviewed Jason Sanderson. He's the podcast editor for people like Naval Ravikant, Kevin Rose, Noah Kagan, Jordan Harbinger, just to name a couple. I think he works with 10 clients right now. And we start off the episode with a little bit of a tangent where we talk about his background working in studios with punk rock bands. He shares a really cool story on how he bought a church and he spent three years of his life remodeling it into a studio. And then we get into how he transitioned to podcast editing and started working with these high profile people. Uh, we talk about what it's like working with these people and specifically he talks about Naval Ravikant working with him and what that's like. And then we talk about how you can start an agency, whether it's podcast editing like him or leveraging another skill that you have to work with these high profile people. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's dive in. And I guess I want to start, there's a story that, uh, the, that I heard a little bit of um, where you supposedly bought a church and wanted to renovate that into a studio. So I, was, I thought that might be a good place to, to start off. Yeah. Um, so I used to do a lot of recording with bands. That was for uh, since 1997. I got um, a job as an assistant in a recording studio, and I was just working with musicians primarily. Um, and... After working in the studios as an assistant for a while, I got my own studio um, and grew my clientele and everything was going well. I was working with lots of record labels and quite prominent bands at the time that were all in a, a very certain niche, like in, in quite heavy music, quite punk rock music. And um, after I left that one studio that I was at, um, the I, I'd outgrown it. And I just wanted a big, big, bigger studio. And at the time, well, it was, it was a crazy story. I don't know um, how much you want to go into it, but I, when I got boot, I actually got booted out of that studio um, because the, the the landlord got into trouble with some police, and I ended up having to move out as well. It was all like a big, big bad situation for me. So I was I was stuck without a place. And then I found this church and I was like, perfect, I'm going to convert this church into a studio. This is like my absolute dream to like do something such on a, such a big scale. Yeah. And like I said, I'd, I'd outgrown the old place, which was quite small. And this new place was like, great, fantastic. But then I didn't really know how to design the studio. So then I spent three years learning how to design studios to a really high spec way learning all the acoustics and um how the room dimensions work and making sure that how you build it it, it sounds the best so uh, i spent three years learning how to do uh, acoustic architecture for and designed it got it all passed through planning permission and um set about building it and we literally run out of budget um after we'd started doing the building work we realized that they there was big problems with the roof so we had to fix the roof and uh, that put us like fifty thousand pounds uh, like down on on uh, our original budget so, so we literally couldn't finish the project because it was so expensive um so we sold the building and at that time um that's when I found the podcast work. Um, it was so difficult at the time to like get punk rock bands to pay 
the bills and that's why we had such a issue is bands paying their, their you know paying paying up on time so uh that's why i was struggling with money to finish the build and uh, it was just uh podcasting landed in my life just at the right time where um yeah i um went that way instead so yeah so i, I want to dig into the podcasting stuff um a little later but like dur- during like during this whole build, like were you were you working or was that was this the only thing you're focused on? Were you like working and paying the bills as you were going? I mean, it seems like a crazy project, and like like the budget for that must have been huge, right? We we bought the building for really cheap, like uh, a really low price, so we didn't really get into too much debt with it. Um, in the end, when we sold the building we didn't actually lose any money. It paid for itself because we ended up selling it at a higher price. So okay. um, as for work, I I was just doing recordings of bands in people's living rooms, in people's uh, workspaces, wherever we could get into. I would take my equipment and we'd record there and that would basically earn me a little bit of money towards the month for the month it wouldn't i wouldn't be earning a proper living well well i was that like you like yourself i'd move back to part with parents for a while to save some money mm-hmm. um yeah i wasn't really working it was three years of of scraping by and yeah that's when i found the podcast stuff and i was like cool i can get paid now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I can I can only imagine like what it would have been like like just recording like just recording with punk rock bands inside like a church. It would have been like the perfect setting, right? Well, it was it was crazy because there was lots of heavy metal bands, and at the side of the church uh, there was like a graveyard, and it uh-huh. was all like like it was a running joke that I owned thirty I think it was thirty three dead bodies. <laughs> it was like a running joke. Wow. That is crazy, yeah, because you, you actually owned the property where those people were buried. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. how how did you originally get into like the whole punk rock scene and like recording for those artists? Uh I've been playing music since since I was twelve. So like the early nineties, uh, got into just playing music. I can. Just, my dad had a great music collection, and I just copied him for a long time, just listening to the bands that he liked. You know, like Pink Floyd and Genesis, and Black Sabbath, and you know, like the things that he liked really shaped my musical taste. And then by the time I got to being like twelve years old, and I saw somebody playing on a drum kit for the first time, and somebody playing like a, a guitar in front of me, I was like, "Yeah, I want to do that," you know. So I got involved in bands. I got in. I played through bands all the way through school. Um, and then when I left school, I went to music college. I um, that's around about the same time as I got involved in the studio. Um, the the studio work. I ended up. There was a, a rehearsal space where my band used to play, and at the end, after I mean, this is a really good tip for people getting into working the way into an industry. Is like, I'd just hang around afterwards. I'd spend like hours after my rehearsal session with the band, where we'd paid to be there. I'd spend a few hours just sat at the back of the room, just watching, you know, 
I'd, I'd just watch what the studio people were doing and I'd help out where, where possible. I'd make cups of tea for people. I'd, I'd just be always like asking questions or even better, just sitting silently at back at room and being interested. Mm-hmm. People in people uh, like in my or your position, my or your position now, you can quite easily tell when somebody's in, really interested, when they're not just doing it because they need a job or they need the money. They, they, they're genuinely interested, um, and that's what I did. I just sat at the back of this room, uh, this studio room, watching the studio engineers at the time doing the thing. And then one day, one of them uh, called me and he said, "Look." you want to come down and we'll train you up because we can tell you that you're interested uh, so yeah I end up being an assistant at this studio and this is like from being 17 so um, and th- there's not many uh, opportunities like that anymore you know to, to go be a t-boy in a recording studio um, and round about at that time the late 90s going into the millennium um, I think that was like kind of the last kind of period where you could do that in a recording studio where you could just be a T-boy. You know, mm-hmm. most studios now, it just tends to be one person working there or if you're lucky, two people, whereas at the time there was a team of people and there was space for another one, you know. Uh, so that's where I got brought on board just to, you know, be a runner, basically. Yeah. Is that because there was more money at the time in the music industry? I think or? so. Like I said, I think that round about that time was the, the the cutoff really of where there was actually some money floating around in the industry. Record labels would pay for their artists to uh, record or the studio time wasn't overly expensive and people were earning enough from uh, playing gigs or um, have some kind of record sales themselves enough to self-invest in making uh, making records happen. So, yeah, there was a little bit more money at the time. And sh- uh, shortly after, that's when all the money dried up during the, you know, the uh, the downloading era. So how how is that like? Um, I mean, being, I think you were like in your like late teens, right? Like in yeah, these recording yeah. studios, what, like, what, uh, you, like you used the, the term T-boy, right? But I imagine yeah. you're doing more than just bringing them tea, right? So. Yeah, of course. So uh, it, it meant... Um, putting the cables, uh, uh, putting the microphones up and attaching cables and, you know, putting everything away at the end, going around with the vacuum cleaner at the end, going to the shop for the clients, um, just getting the getting the food and just simple tasks that didn't really uh, need me to be skilled in doing so, you know, basically. Mm. And then as, as time went on, I got more and more skilled by watching the the skilled technicians there and just learn from those guys and um i had i had a a good mentor really at the time he he took me under his wing and you know showed me everything and it was good yeah and do, do you have any crazy stories from uh from working i mean behind the scenes with those bands um more so when i got my own place that's where I think the studio that I was at because it was quite reserved and didn't it was more um, a little bit more sterile. Whereas when I got my own place, um, that was a lot more crazy. Um, I basically had the, the studio was situated above two nightclubs, so there was a night there was a nightclub in the basement, a nightclub on the ground floor, 
then there was my apartment where I was living, and then the top floor was my recording studio. Um, and it was in the middle of a town center where with a, a very vibey nightlife and everything happened, you know, <laughs> it was a lot more crazy. I mean, they're, they're probably not good for her, for her. I'll, I'll leave, I'll leave the crazy stories for, for in person. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Too much away. <laughs> That's how you know they're really crazy. <laughs> was it, how, how big were these bands? Were they like, like imagine like probably pretty big within that scene, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it it was all quite a niche scene like quite a small tight-knit scene but they were quite renowned i mean several several bands roller tomasi they are quite a big band i i worked with ginger from the wild hearts some u.s bands that i worked with um they were in bands with other people that was in bands with slipknot oh wow not, not that I, I, I worked with them, but there was some cross cross collaboration mm-hmm. there, um, and yeah, just a, a bunch of a bunch of punk rock bands, you know. Um, yeah, it was a good time. So is that is that um, is that why you transitioned over to podcasts? Because I mean, it was like less and less money to be made in mm-hmm. the music industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, when I first stumbled across podcast stuff, it was maybe 2010, 2000 and, between 2010 and 2012. And at the time I was going through, like, like I said, I, I'd left the old studio. I'd, I'd taken on board the, the church. Um, I, I mean, I went from being part of a thriving community to struggling to make something happen. And that had a huge mental health impact on me. You know, at the time I was like really depressed, really in a low state because of, you know, I was basically failing from something that I was originally being quite successful at, you know. Um, So there's a big, a big drop off in my mental health. And I had to try and fix that in some way. And at the time I was listening to podcasts and not many people were listening to podcasts back then. It wasn't the thriving industry that it is now. But um, it helped me. It, it helped me get over a lot of issues that I was going through. Um, and at the time, I'd found Jordan Harbinger's show. Like I work with Jordan Harbinger right now, and it's like really uh, well-known podcaster. I think it's twelve million downloads a month. You know, he's like really up there. Uh, at the time, it wasn't nowhere near as big as that, but. Um, I, I found his show and it helped me through a lot. Um, his old show, not the one that he's got now. And um, I, because I had this skill set of being able to make the sound a little bit better, I just messaged him and said, "Look, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out with the sound on the show. I'll, 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 I'll tweak the sound a little bit so it sounds better. Right now, the the voices are all off balanced and they sound terrible. And I'll do what I can to to help." fix it and it wasn't even a goal to get some paid work out of it i i was just that i was getting a lot from his show so why why not for me to just use my skill set and help him as well in return so i'm just a i'm just a listener getting in touch with him 
saying, you know, offering my value back to him in the same way that he's just been offering me a lot of value without him knowing because I'm obviously I didn't know him. Um, and that little bit of freebie work turned into a little bit of paid work. And then over time, the the job got more and more challenging. And before I knew it, it was my next stage of my career. It, again, it happened really organically. You know, I didn't, I wasn't really looking for um, a job doing the podcast stuff because realistically back then, uh, podcasts didn't have audio engineers. Podcasts were just the worst sounding recording over a telephone, mostly. You know, really bad quality and not much care taken about it. And um, I got into that industry really early as well. You know, um, I, I feel lucky that I stumbled across it then because th- I'm not sure if I would find it as easy to get into the industry right now, given or get as, as high up in the industry right now um, if I was starting from today. I'm not I'm not sure about that, but basically I just used the value um, I, that I, by applying my skill set uh, and giving the value back to him in the same way that he'd been giving me value. Yeah, it's funny. You kind of jumped from like a dying industry to like a brand new like, like industry that was like in its infancy. That's... Yeah, in flux. Yeah. Did you did you just email him back then? Yeah. Was it just like his general email? Yeah. It, and you know how many downloads he had at the time compared to today? Something like uh, about 14,000 downloads a month, which was still quite high for back then. They're still like one of the top podcasts out there, right? Yeah. At the I time. I mean, he's, he's, had a, he's had a change. He's not, he's not at the same... It's not the same podcast anymore. It's all podcasts on Death Door. You know, like they've left they've left that company now. Mm-hmm. They set up a new one. But at, at the time, it was yeah, it was one of the biggest podcasts in, in iTunes. Yeah, at the time. Um, and I mean, it's still up there now in the charts with this new show. It's still really high ranking. Um, so yeah. Um, but you're right about the flux thing. Um, and, and I think um, for, for listeners, uh, they should be aware about these kind of tr- transitions that they might have to take. I've, I've taken um, my audio engineers and audio engineering skills and, and literally just changed where I've, I placed that. I, I placed that into a different industry, you know, but I'm still using the same skill set. And I think that's quite possible for a lot of people. Find what it is that you do best and then tweak it to what what's in flux at them that moment and, and you should be able you should be able to create a successful career. I feel like if podcasting died tomorrow I could quite easily transition to doing something else with this skill set that I've I've developed. Yeah, and it seems like it's not only you transition to something um, that was in flux, that was like on the up and up, but it's also something you're really interested in, right? Yeah, like you were a fan of the show yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I, I just wanted to give back that same value as what he'd been giving me as a listener, you know? And, and what did that transition from paid work, uh, from free work to paid work look like? Oh, I mean... <laughs> At the time, 
the work that I was doing for him maybe only took me an hour, you know. It was a, a quick cleanup that didn't mean much to my time and it didn't mean... it. He didn't really... Of course, he valued it, but it was just like, oh, yeah, that, that guy's going to do that cleaning up, cleaning up for me, you know? Like, there was no... Um, business relationship about it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's just oh this guy's helping me out do this thing so um uh i think the the transition was when he was getting tired of editing the show himself so that was eating up too much of his time so i was i was like just let me do it you know i'll i'll edit the show you don't need to edit the show um you've got better things to be doing with your time I'll do it. And it's like, oh, but like, how will you know what I want cutting out or whatever? And I was like, well, I've listened to the show for like nearly a year now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've like listened to, I, I, I know, I know the vibe. I know what it is that you're going for. You kind of learn to um, second guess your client's motives, you know, and what, what they've been to. Um, so yeah, I did, I did, my first cut and it I, I went way over his expectations and he loved it and realized that he's just freed up you know three hours at the time I think he was spending on on editing and I I took that time I, I, I allowed him to get that time back you know um, and then from there the the show got more and more serious and I spent more and more time on editing to a point where now it might be you know seven or eight hours worth of work per show you know and that's because there's so many more moving transitional parts and different adverts and all sorts that go into it where it's you know if if he went back now to try and edit the show himself i think he'd he'd struggle with that Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i can imagine and how um how closely were you working with him like once you started doing the paid work like did he hire you as a full-time employee or was it like as a contractor? And then like besides business, were you guys like close personally as well? Um, or yeah. how, how was that relationship like? So we grew, we grew pretty close. Um, at this point we've met up a whole bunch of times. We're even going to go on holiday together this year. We've, we've been uh, and on holiday together before and, you know, like it's a close relationship, you know, um, now um, where we speak to each other nearly every day, you know. Oh, wow. Um, but at the time, I, I guess it just grew organically from nothing to something, just with um, speaking to each other a lot, you know. Um, as far as the work uh, goes, um, I mean, I'm, I'm always working freelance with most of my clients, you know. Um, I've, never, I've, I've not actually had a proper job since the millennium 2000 <laughs> so i've been 20 years like just working for myself yeah so it's not it's not like um somebody's employing me but um yeah at this point um i i have my rates that i work for and i have a job proposal that i usually put in place with new clients and you know um we figure something out financially that works for both of us and um I'm I'm not I'm not at that stage now where I I um, 
give up my standards of what I what I'd want for the working relationship to work. You know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't go out for uh, the same kind of fee as what I went out for originally. You know. Um, yeah, that's that's what's nice when I mean you're in demand, right? You kind of get to yeah. to set the terms. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I I definitely suggest that to your listeners is um, yeah be prepared to do a little bit of work for free or for for small amounts in the start but quickly you want to be um knowing your worth and how much value you're giving them and expect to be able to grow with that and and hold yourself to a, to a high standard you know mhm so i mean today you like on top of jordan harbinger you work with some like really big names especially if you're into like the mm. kind of like silicon valley tech space right so there's yeah. like naval ravikant is a huge one now right yeah um i mean obviously noah kagan which is how we know each other yeah um i think you work with kevin rose as well I did and see him, yeah a few and, few episodes yeah and a couple other big shows. So, like, how how do you go from like that first that first client with uh, Jordan Harbinger, and how mm. did you just grow your? I mean, I guess you can call it an agency at this point, right? Yeah. So I would say it's all been word of mouth. I've I've never advertised for anything. My website's terrible. I I hardly ever update it. I've you know I've, I should update it this year at some point <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i updated it much last year if any um i've i i don't have time really for social media i don't spend any time on social media so it, none of my works come through the what's a normal standard of finding work nowadays uh all of my work is the old school way in the same way as what i did back in the day with uh, the punk rock bands it's all just been word of mouth and I do pride myself on trying to forge some kind of relationship with with the people that I'm working for you know if if I can get them to look to see me as uh the genuine honest person that I try to be you know and uh, and kind of I'd say friend you know like most of my clients are friends uh then I know that I'm going to be the first first person that that comes out of the mouth when when somebody asks, "Oh, do you know anyone that can help me with this audio?" You know, I will be that that person that they mention. And like I say, that that's how I got like the Naval Ravikant gig is I was working for somebody else who was um, was interviewing Naval, and Naval was. Oh, offline he was saying you know I'm, I'm thinking about starting a podcast um do you know anyone that that needs some help well my other client um rob was like straight away thought about me because we've made such a good uh, relationship together you know like we've, we we're really tight and i'm going to be the first person that 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 person speaks about should they get asked you know and i think that's really important yeah and it it's, um, speaks as well to like the fact that like getting one big client kind of like starting to work with them when they're like smaller. Right. And yeah. then as they grow, like the the um, the trust factor that you gain from having worked mm. on their show. Right. I mean, it's yeah. huge. I was thinking about this 
the other day when uh, we were speaking and you you mentioned um, that you was with uh, Tom Billu. Yeah. How would you, you say his second name? Uh, Tom Billu. Yeah. Billu. Yeah. So you said that you was working with him, and I was like, uh, after after you'd mentioned that, I was I was thinking about this very premise that like at that kind of level, you you instantly put trust in someone without even knowing what it is that they do. You know, like I don't, you, you've not actually mentioned what you actually do with Tom Bilyeu, but mm-hmm. having that name attached instantly, you know that you're a trustworthy person enough to get the job done. You know, whatever it is that I'm going to ask you to do, you know, you, you're being that trustworthy person for Tom you can be that trust person, trustworthy person for me to get that job done that I want to get done, and I think a lot of a lot of that is, you know, uh, it's, it's like a cycle. You know, it's going to propel towards another client and another client because people put the trust in you. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's like I mean, it's similar to like getting into like a big school, like a like a Harvard or a Stanford or something yeah, like that, I or. About that. Or uh, even like the big companies, you know, like people that have worked at like Google, like Mm -hmm. Apple, Facebook, you know, like it doesn't even matter what they did there, you know, but a lot of times it's like just getting in. It's kind of like getting in gets you through like a like a filter, a filtering system, right? Where Mm -hmm. where, like the company has vetted you already. And once you're in, it's kind of like, I mean, you've kind of been vetted by that company and and you have that trust um, that like other people take that trust signal. And I guess just trust you more for some reason. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, h- how do people get in nowadays? Because I, I'm i not sure I, how I would do it if I was starting again right today. Yeah. So how like how I got in with Impact Theory, for example? Yeah. Or how would, if you were suggesting to your listeners, like how would they get in if they were just starting from? Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, so the punchline is you have to stand out somehow, right? It's not um, it's not going to be by just uh, submitting a resume. I mean, some people get in that way, but a lot of the times, like especially with these either big companies or big influencers or entrepreneurs, like they're getting like a thousand thousand requests every day to like yeah, want to sure. work for them. So it's like. Um, when, when I applied, I put together, I basically put together a website, um, which was called, it had the URL, like I want to work for impact theory.com. Hmm. Um, and I shot a short video where I was like pitching myself directly to Tom and to the team of like, I mean, I had like analyzed the business, like, uh, ver- like every aspect of the business and like, kind of like you were saying, like, I didn't have many skills at the time, but I had some basic skills and like like just doing some designing stuff. And I mean, I had, I had done like a, a YouTube channel so I could do a little bit of video editing. And so I had some basic skills and I found a way to add value to the company, um, with the basic skills I had. And -hmm. also commute, like I was able in that video to communicate just like how, um, how much I wanted the job. Mm -hmm. Um, and with then using that, that video resume or that website resume, I basically, um, blasted it off to everyone that was working there obviously in a very polite way but just trying to get them in the hand of someone um and then it finally got in the hands of tom um and he 
he I think he was impressed with the extra effort and um, he offered me an interview and it's funny because I didn't get the job right away I after that I kept in touch with some people there it mm-hmm. actually didn't work out because the marketing director who was in charge of internships as the, at the at the time was on his way out. And so that was right around the time where I was supposed to join, but it didn't happen because of that. Um, but so I kept in touch and I kept like trying to add value like through like giving samples um, of like different things, of, like different samples of work. Like I was doing like lead magnets for, for their YouTube videos and stuff and mm-hmm like social posts that they could read, like they could literally just take the posts and like post it, you know? And so just trying to help in a bunch of ways. Um, and eventually uh, something opened up, like an opportunity opened up and mm-hmm. they, I mean, you're, it's kind of every company is trying to hire. Uh, like every company like has, I mean, hiring is hard. Like finding good people mm-hmm. is hard. And if you're that person that's like always trying to add a little bit of value and like trying to help in every way, like kind of like you, like you, yeah. um, you were doing the stuff for free. You were doing the edits for free. And naturally I think he wasn't even looking for an editor yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, but you're there at the right moment where they need someone and you're just the right person. You're the best person. And it's way easier to hire someone that they know already than to go out and like, mm-hmm. like, interview like hundreds of applicants and like most of them which are not gonna like want the job as much as you and are not gonna be as qualified um and so yeah that that's that's how i got the position and um that's kind of what i'm trying to document with with this podcast is these different stories of like how do people get in um how do people get in with uh with entrepreneurs or creators at that level you know when really it's hard to get in to really just get in touch with them you know so Mm -hmm. how, how do you do it yeah, I don't think anything's changed since, like, when I got that studio assistant job in 97, you know. Um, I was just showing up there all the time. I was the logical next step to ask when it come to taking on an assistant. I was there every week, always for extra time than I needed to be there. I was there always trying to help out in whatever way that I possibly could, Um you know, with, with no other motive than I'm purely interested in, in being there, you know, and yeah, you're right. Nothing's changed in all that time. That's how you get into any kind of industry is just by showing up and offering value. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's the, like you said, it's the recurring theme across everyone I've interviewed so far where it's like a one, it's like going the extra mile, you know, mm-hmm. and standing out. I think like if you have, if you have something like more than the resume that makes you stand out, mm-hmm. um, like I was just interviewing last week, it was like a copywriter. Um, and what he did is he, I mean, before reaching out, he put together five, like he, he, he noticed that the company wasn't putting out like regular newsletters and they could uh-huh. like b- really build like a more regular following that way. And so he basically designed the whole newsletter format for them and like, mm-hmm wrote five different issues of what the newsletter could be and put all of those in like a medium article that was like, I mean, he's a copywriter, so it was really well written and found a channel on which uh, Tom had the least uh, followers, you know, so it's like where it's like the easiest to get in touch with him. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, I think in his tweet, he was like, if this is not the best like proposal you've ever seen uh i'll donate 500 dollars to the charity of your choice like something yeah. that really attention grabbing you know 
and sure enough, I mean that that he he got the gig. He started for free as well, similar to you. Yeah. Uh, and so there's also that commonality of like free work in the beginning, you know. Um, I worked for a podcast that was uh, the lead designer on Gmail and a design agency in Berlin, like the two guys, the one from Gmail and one from the design agency in Berlin. And I was working on this podcast for a while and I hate doing show notes. It's not my forte. I'm not a copywriter. I'm not a writer. I'm terrible at it. Um, I can scrape by, but I don't tend to offer that as a service on with, with my company. I just tend to deal with the audio side of things. But um, for this one client, I was every week just knocking together a sentence or two that we could put up there, you know, as the title and subtitle and whatnot. And this show fan that was really into the show, um, every week he would send in his version of the show notes, like, He'd, he'd do a full write-up of whatever the podcast would be mm-hmm. and he'd send it to uh, to the guys uh, that I was working for. And that ended up being the show notes. And not only did he end up being the show notes guy, he ended up getting a job at this design firm in Berlin. And I think, where's he from? He's from, he's from some uh, Eastern country like... Um, like Iraq or somewhere like that, you know, is is now living in Berlin working for a design firm just because he did the show notes like for free. You know? Yeah, free work, like, man. That's, that's, that's insane. It will get you far. And I, and I've I've lost count of how many times that now that a listener has submitted show notes and they've been used. You know. Yeah. Find that value. Find where you can offer that value and. and and present it and get uh, like you say stand out in doing so and you know people are going to use you yeah even it's if like... even if not for their show they'll they will suggest you to some other show you know yeah no it's crazy like it, it really doesn't take that much to stand like that much effort to stand out either right like and you mentioned about like going that extra mile i don't think that stops once you're in the door either like you still have to go that extra mile for whoever the ever you're working with. Like for me, I've got ten clients now, and every one of them, I'm I'm going that extra mile. I'm I'm not shortcutting. I'm not I'm not trying to shave off time in any way. I, I I'm going through the full commitment and full process with every one of the clients, and that shows. You know, one of my clients gave me like a thousand dollar bonus this at Christmas, and I was just like gobsmacked you know but that's just because i've obviously saved them a thousand dollars during this last year you know Uh yeah (laughs) way more than a thousand dollars in in the way that i'm presenting my work you know um that it just doesn't stop once you're in the door you know you you still have to give it that same you still have to stand out once you're in there totally um so i guess that's a good transition to how how is it like now you're you said you're working with 10 clients so like mm. how uh, what what's your lifestyle like like what's what's your i guess <laughs> let's start with like what's your work week like with 10 clients because it seems hectic. like one yeah it seems like <laughs> one or two podcasts would already be like almost like a full-time gig but like you're managing yeah. 10 clients so how 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 does that work and what does your so, week look like i have i have two assistants now that 
helped me primarily in the initial stages of editing. So um, I've spent a lot of time training these two guys to be as quality conscious as me, to be as detail oriented orientated as me, to I, I followed them through every element of the process of what I do and replicated what I do with these with these two assistants. So now they help me in the initial stages and then I oversee putting the final result together. I um, go through and do any kind of quality check and, and, and make sure that nothing's been taken out that shouldn't have been taken out, make sure that things that need to be still deleted get get cut um and and i still focus on the sound part of it i i still make sure that it sounds as best as it possibly can Mm -hmm. i can teach somebody how to edit as good as i can edit but i can't teach someone my ears you know so i'm still taking taking over from their initial process i still it's still me putting the final result together and making sure that it's up to standard and up to par and also up to like i said guessing uh my client's um vision and and sticking with what i know that my clients would want you know i'm inside my client's head and i get to put that end stamp on it to make sure it's up to that level Mm -hmm. you know as far as, sorry, go, go ahead. No, cool. Can, as far as hours, um, like what, like how how busy are you doing a nonstop? Yeah. Covid's been great because I've I've just done nothing but work. You know, <laughs> I feel really guilty. It's been my busiest period out of like forever. You know, I've uh-huh. never been this busy. Um, I'm working nearly every day. I try to have weekends. Um. At the minute, I'm I'm using weekends to either spend with my wife or I. That's when I turn to the music stuff. So I mix some bands or master some bands or uh, maybe at the minute I'm just going through my old archives and digging up old old projects that I did a long time ago and giving them a new uh, clean, a new shine, a new you know a new master. That sounds up to date and, and fresh. Um, so I'm, I'm in the middle of a few projects like that, and then there's some some new people still come to me with the music stuff to help mix. So I tend with the weekends, I'll I'll work on that kind of stuff, and during the week, I'm helpful ever every hour of the week, you know. Working. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's busy. I'm really busy. I'm doing eight to ten hours every day sometimes 12 hours you know um it's it's non-stop and like like you i'm based in europe and communicating with u.s people so you know i just get finished for work and i get messages asking can you do this can you do that and it's like (laughs) so you end up working longer you know (laughs) yeah yeah i can i can only imagine for you with 10 clients yeah. Do you um do you take advantage of the the fact that you can I mean that you're working remotely to um to travel somewhat or I did do. Um I just mentioned spending time with my wife. I met her while traveling. Um I well, I for a while 
so when I left doing when I sold the church and in that transitional period uh, of the podcast stuff and trying to sort my mental health out and all that kind of things I purposely did a lot of traveling um so um all the way up until maybe two years I've been based in Prague now for two years all that time up until that point in that gap that's where I was doing lots of traveling I, I went to I think I've been to like 40 countries or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, so, and I was living in Budapest and for three months, I think I was there. And that's when I met my wife. And her job was, um, she, she was was doing some leadership position that required, she was working in Sweden even though she's Slovakian, she was working in Sweden and basically had to do like a global position. She, she works for a big company that allows for a lot of global connections or whatever. So she'd been, she was moving around weekly on a weekly basis. At the time, because I was working remotely, uh, it became quite easy for me to go, you know what, I'll come. You know, I'll come with you. Free hotel, you know? Like, mm. I only need to get the, the cheap flights in Europe. You know how, how cheap the flights oh, are yeah. in Europe. Um, it was easy for me to just get on a, on a plane and go get a free, free hotel and spend some time with what would become my wife, you know? <laughs> um, so I did so much traveling because of the remote, uh, availability of of doing the podcast work, which I would have never have done had the church worked out. So in a way, that failing, you know, not being able to uh, finish the church, being um, in in a bit of debt at the time, and just being, um, you know, feeling like I'd, I'd lost all my purpose, or you know, like all, all those kind of things that I was going through at the time. Had that not happened, I wouldn't have ever traveled to all these places and I wouldn't have ever met my wife, you know, like I wouldn't have ever found podcasting really. I wouldn't have been looking for to fill to fill that thing that I thought was broken in myself, you know. Yeah. So it, it, I don't I, I didn't know how to, to describe it, but I feel really grateful for that failing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, I feel like it's a common narrative, like, in a lot of people's lives where, like, does this Tony Robbins quote, like, what, like, how is the worst thing that happened to you the best yeah. thing that happened to you, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's such a common thing where it's, like, like uh, so many opportunities come out of, I mean, your biggest failures. And, yeah. Um, yeah. But, I, I, like I said, I would like to do it again at some point, like, maybe buy something nice and turn it into a recording studio, but... I'm not sure how much of a priority it would be to to want to work doing it. I'm I'm really enjoying now doing music as a hobby, whereas that's that's the reason why I got into it in the first place. You know, I started playing drums as a as a teenager and being in bands and getting involved in music because it was a hobby. It was something I loved. And then actually, when I had my own studio recording doing the production work it was a job just like any other job and it sucked the the light the, the love out of it you know so now i i get to use my audio skills 
from the podcasting world and like I said I, I, I tweaked it in that flux and, and found a way of putting my skills to something else which has then opened up my love for music again now whenever I do a musical project now I'm I'm in love with it I, I can't stop I can sit there for hours without thinking of it as being work whereas when I had my own place in my own studio it was it was work like any other work you know you, you clock off at a certain time because you you don't want to deal with the mental energy of somebody else's project blah 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 whereas now when I take on music I'm like yeah <laughs> you know it's so fun yeah yeah I mean there's this definitely something to be said about like keeping your your passions or like your your passions as your hobbies you know mm. um yeah that's beautiful and I mean you found you kind of found an industry where I mean it's way more lucrative like your skills are mm. way more valuable yeah um than they were now and so it's like that also gives you more time and money to focus on the hobbies right yeah 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 that's uh, beautiful right. a big part of this podcast uh for me i want to show um like the value of working for your mentors and i'm not sure if a lot of your clients yeah. are your mentors or not but so I, i want to hear a little more to that of like what it's been like working with these really like highly successful people And if you've learned any lessons from them, like either from working from them or from, I mean, I'm, you're also consuming their content in, in a huge amount. So I'm sure mm. like, I know when I was working with Tom, I was doing his social media and I was just ingesting, like, I felt like I, I became an AI for, I could predict everything he was going to say, you know, like I, I started yeah. thinking like him, you know, so I was curious <laughs> what, um, what, no, what that's like. You are, you, you are right. And there is that um that saying that you are the five people you spend the most time with and obviously I'm the the most time that I spend is with my top five clients you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh yeah um I have taken a lot from those so I I think a, a few things popped up in my head when you were saying it um the, a lot of my podcasts that I work on tend to be completely different genres to each other so like i've got like health podcasts i've got like the science type podcasts i've got the financial type podcasts i've got a whole bunch of different cross sections and i i think they they all merge to to make a better me like i've this year spent more time thinking about my finance my personal finances i've got into investing in bitcoin because of the podcast that i worked i've got into uh health in in a big way i've you know i i i, I try to eat key, uh, clean and i eat keto a lot of time um you know because of a podcast that i'm constantly working on you know these these things you're right like you do start thinking a lot like your clients because you're there working in that space all the time i i've had so much advice from jordan at this point jordan abinger that i i can't think of one instance but there's been so much you know i don't even need to ask for advice i can just be talking to him about something and he'll give me advice i i'd say jordan is a straight-up mentor to me um um I can't think of any any instance, but it, it, it's happening all the time, you know. 
what's it like working with Naval? Really simple and painless and at the same time very intricate and very difficult. <laughs> um, there's, there's this huge juxtaposition. Um, they tend to record in just one long, huge pass. It could be a four-hour conversation, you know, maybe between him and Nivy, um, which is his business partner, or somebody else that's working working for Angel List, um, you know, one of the other investors or what have you. And they'll do a, a big, long conversation, maybe like four hours, three hours. And then if you've checked out the podcast, you'll notice that the episodes are only like five minutes to ten minutes, small, short nuggets of information. So basically what we do is we take all of this audio and we distill it down into really small fine digestible pieces and um, there's a lot of communication in the back end that goes on about how we structure that and how we want to deliver that and what makes sense to shuffle things about you know so that you know it could be that the 45 minutes into the discussion could end up being at the very beginning and Four hours into the discussion could be thirty minutes into you know it's it's all shuffled about to to create some small digestible chunk that will work for the audience. So that part of it is quite difficult. Um, but as for communication with the team we've got, it's a lot like the the team what we we've got going on with with Noah. Like it's just it's almost seamless in a, in a way. You know we all work well together. We all know exactly what we need to be doing and, and we all turn it around on time you know like having a, a team fill those gaps where you, you know that you're not proficient really in that that always helps you know like having a team that all fill each other's holes in the process you know mm-hmm um, I think that's what's that's that's what we've got going on with Naval, and those those shows are not really that regular either. Uh, we're just about to start going into a new season right now, um, so they're just on with recording new things for it. And I mean, it's great. Both Naval and and Nivi are fantastic people. Um, you wouldn't think they're not what you would think of as being a billionaire you know they're mm. they're so genuinely nice and caring and like i i honestly don't know how they have the time that they do to be able to communicate in the way that they do i've i've known people in a lot in a lot lesser circumstances in the life be appalling to communicate to you know like not being able to get an answer from and Basically, they're nobodies, you know, whereas these are real somebodies, mm. but they've got time for you and it's fantastic, you know. Um, so I, I couldn't be any happier about working for Naval. And I've noticed recently there's there's been a book come out of all the all the episodes, pretty much what we put together. So all it, it worked out really well structuring the, the podcast in almost chapter like segments so basically somebody's been able to put that together and it's a book now you know 
And it's a very popular book. It's, it's funny because like book. you might even be able to say that you had like a small, I mean, you had a small piece to play yeah. in, in that in writing that book in a way, right? I mean, I'd like to think that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say that, but like it's it's been great seeing um that come together for him. So I'm very happy for him. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, he's it's funny because he's kind of become an accidental celebrity where he, it doesn't seem like he was really looking for it. And yeah. the guy is so fascinating as a person that as soon as I think he he just did a couple podcasts like with um, I think Tim Ferriss and maybe Joe Rogan. Yeah. And yeah. and instantly like people connected with like whatever he had to say. Yeah. Um, and I mean people are so. I think he's also big on Twitter as well, but he's, it... he's the smartest person that I know. I've got some smart friends, but he is up there as being the most intelligent person that I know of. Like he's his mental capacity is is beyond. You know, it's it's incredible. You know, mm, that's wild. So, yeah. Um, one last question I want to ask you is. For anyone that's interested in your line of work, let's say someone, I mean, some, let's say someone is starting from scratch, like they don't have any audio editing uh, background, like with punk rock musicians, what, um, and, and let's say they want to build an agency, like kind of get to the point where they have that lifestyle of being able to travel and uh, have multiple clients and work with these high profile people what advice would you have for them just to get started to let's say like in the next five years, how could they get to that level? I mean, everything that we talked about up till now, they, they offer in the value, um, finding places where that you can offer value. That's, that's the, that's the biggest, the biggest start, you know, it doesn't, like you said earlier, you started with, uh, Tom build you w without really having much of a skill set you know it was just that you wanted to be a part of it so badly that you developed a skill set from that desire you know so that would be my first step if I was just coming into it now I'd I'd find something that I wanted to be a part of so badly that it hurts you know and I'd spend all the time learning how to for it to not hurt that that ten percent more every day, you know, you know, Im improve that ten percent more every day. Um and that does become unignorable, you know. Um there's that really good book by Carl Newport that mm -hmm. uh, so good they can't ignore you. Yeah. That's that's a that's a, a worthy read on, on that. Um you know, be that person that you can't ignore, you know? Um, so, I mean, as far as doing the podcast stuff, um, yeah, just get in touch with some shows that you're really interested in and try and help them in some possible way, you know? Um, I mean, that doesn't have to be just podcast stuff, does it? It can be YouTube. It can be, you know, uh, a magazine, an online, uh, you know, um, a website or something like that, you know. Um, find how you can offer value and be so interested that 
tomorrow and the next day you can offer even more value you know yeah nice yeah. Uh, where where can people find you online if if you want people to find you online? Yeah, sure. I mean, like I say, I've not got much of a social media presence. I do yeah. have Instagram, but it's not even worth looking at. Uh, there's nothing there. Um, but yeah, just you can find me at my website, podcasttech.com. And I also have jasonsanderson.co.uk. Um, my .co.uk one, the... the one in my name is just tends to be for my music projects um and then the podcast com. that's that's obviously my podcast work um yeah just get in touch with me send me an email through there <laughs> sweet that's a wrap cool thank, thank you, you for thank you for your time man there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you have any takeaways from the interview or if you have any feedback for me for the podcast, drop that in the comments below. And if you want to watch more of these behind-the-scenes interviews with people that are working with big creators and entrepreneurs, you can check out this playlist right here. And make sure to subscribe to the channel. I put out a new interview every week. And until next time, have a good week.